warning. The Catholic Man Show contains high levels of manliness. If you think you may be too weak to withstand the manliness represented in the following program, please do yourself a favor and stop listening now. If you choose to continue in spite of this warning, if at any time you feel yourself overcome by the manliness, stop immediately and consult your closest medical professional. And now, for the not-so-fair, faint, or frilly, we present The Catholic Man Show. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side, so raise your glass. We're sans Juan today. Juan is no longer here for the I'm team. really feeling it. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> I'm not. I've got a I lot would of, like I, him to be I, here. I feel the extra responsibility right in front of me. It's better when mouse, he's there. Extra buttons. There's too much power that it's you're giving. Way, it's just like, I, I shouldn't have to do all this. I feel like, you know how like when people suffer, they think deep down, there's a part of them that says, I'm not made for this. That's how I feel right now. I'm not made for all this extra stuff right here. It's like, I'm reliving 2017. Right. In a, it's vivid. It's like a vivid reliving. Five years. Doing this podcast for five years has I can't even believe that. I can't either. 2016 is when we started. We started, yeah, but 2017-ish is probably when yeah, we started yeah. video or and maybe even with, 18. With extra buttons. Yeah, yeah. it may have been 18, really, with right. the buttons. Yeah. We do have Jim here. Jim, Thank you God. can't see him. We need to have, uh, yeah, he's clapping for himself. We need to there have a There was a mob a outside cam. earlier, and Jim whooped them. It was, in, it was incredible. He went outside single-handedly with one hand. He, he asked us, he said, tied tie this hand behind my back because there was only seven of them outside and so we did and you guys should have been there it was incredible it's a brute fact it's a brute fact that jim spencer single-handedly with one hand destroyed the mob of seven incredibly fit individuals there you go it's a brute fact <laughs> yeah dave uh, we have Pat Flynn coming on the show this evening. I'm so pumped to have him on. We, yeah. We're uh, big fans of Pat Flynn. He just did a course for us, uh, for our patrons on fitness and virtue and uh, nutrition and gave a... Very good. I mean, just like so insightful about uh, the virtues that have to do with, that go along with fitness, mm -hmm. as well as, which I think is just important the vices that go along with fitness and like the uh, pitfalls that so many people fall into when they, because this is one of those, this is one of those things that when people get into, sometimes it's, you get sucked into, right? Uh, it's, it's like a new lifestyle that you don't just like, Oh, I go to the gym now. No, no, no. I am a gym person now. You know what I mean? And so you, mm -hmm. like it changes people's identity kind of often. Uh, it has a way of, you know, like sometimes that happens. And so there are pitfalls. There are vices that Things go you need along. to be aware of. Right. And so in order to be a healthy, well-rounded, whole person, you you should be physically fit. Mm -hmm. But you also should avoid the pitfalls 
And if even just being aware of them, pride, you should avoid avoid pride. pride. Being aware of these common things, mm-hmm. just being aware of them in the beginning, I think, big 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 difference. Yeah. So he he did a whole course for us for our patrons. If you go to patreoncom show, you can support the show. Yeah. Uh, but we we talked to him actually about a paper that he is hopefully getting published here pretty soon. So we get a little sneak peek. He was yeah. generous enough to give us a little sneak peek of this unpublished paper that that will be probably pretty soon of correlation between uh the problems of evil and the uh, uh, principles of sufficient reasoning the cosmological argument Mm -hmm. we kind of hit a a lot of things but right and you think how are these all related and then at the very end make sure you 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 stay tuned into the very end because he really brings it home right yeah yeah so we've already recorded it that's how we know Yes. Uh, Actually, I bilocated is really what happened. Into the future. Into the future. Have you ever bilocated to the future? That is... I don't know. Did you even... Have you even considered... I'm not considered, sure that's what bilocating is. No, I, have you even considered this? It's a brute fact that that's what bilocating is. Okay. <laughs> I have... No, I have not considered futuristic bilocation. So, like, in the future, when you get there... How old are you? No, like, because you're still occupying the same space. You're talking about, like, just taking up the same space that you would have taken up, except that you already lived it. So when you get there, have you lost your free will? Well, maybe when you get holy enough. <laughs> now that is a good question, when you right? Get, when you get holy enough. I'll figure it out. Figure it's that just out. a brute fact that it happened, okay? Yes. Like, don't, don't be stupid and question it too much. Yeah, so... So we have Pat Flynn on the show. Uh, we're really excited, but let's get, let's get into this drink because this is a very special drink. We that are we're drinking a very special drink. Yes. So this is the Ardbeg Scorch. Would you show the the box? Oh yes, I, I will. I really love the like. Look at this box. It has a uh, dragon. It's like got a dragon and a dude battling a dragon. Where's the uh, here he is? Uh, uh, there's like a dog. Yeah, yeah. battling so like a dog over here battling the breathing dragon. It's kind of hard to see because all, all the on, flavor of breathing once, dragon um so this is an expensive bottle it's a limited edition it's, L- it's limited their, edition yeah. right yeah so uh if you're gonna find it you should find it quickly mm-hmm. i will tell you it was about 115 dollars i really enjoy it but it is not worth 115 dollars to me it's not worth even close 115 dollars i'm really enjoying drinking it mm-hmm. but i wouldn't now drinking it, I would not pay that price for this bottle. That's okay. just that's just my opinion. Well, let, let let's sip on it a little bit. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers, cheers to Jesus. Cheers. By the way, if you support the show, these Glencairn whiskey glasses that you get, uh, you will get as, as a, a thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So, so on the nose, uh, to me, this is very it. It's very reminiscent of the Ardbeg Ten. Yeah, so uh, so I've already tried it, so I I, I know what yeah, to expect. We, but, yeah, exactly. But uh, the nose that I when I first tried it, I said the nose was like very briny, very. Uh, there's a lemon lime feature to it. It's almost like a, a key lime pie, uh, almost. Yeah. Uh, and then there's uh, it's very wood, peat, uh, mossy, earthy. But it has the sweetness to it, like that key lime pie mixed in with it. Now, when you the the palate 
uh, is very interesting as well. So it, to me, it has the, a very uh, Lefroigian. Yeah. Is it, so Lefroigian. Lefroigian is totally a word. Yeah. So it, it says on the bottle that this is matured in their most heavily charred ex-bourbon casks. So they're just like taking their. And on the box, I, I was reading something. It says like they charred them. And then they extra charred them. So the char is super, super, super. A, yeah, one of the other uh, words I use is like very barbecue, like, you know, the. Yeah, yeah. Like very barbecue esque. Like bark, like the bark on the barbecue. The bark on, on, yeah, on a brisket. And one thing, what I really love is the, um, the aftertaste. It, you know, it's a long finish. To me, okay. It's, it's kind of a spicy, long finish. Okay, so, but to me, I really it's like not, it. it's not a complex no scotch no it is a very pow in your face uh impactful scotch yeah. it is one like like lefroig like ardbeg tin like uh, lagavulin it's it, it is not a, like lagavulin lagavulin has some com has more complexity you're right. and more balance i was a little too yep you're right even Ard or uh even lefroig i think has a little bit more complexity i don't think it's balanced though no no lefroig I don't. I don't call balanced. Right. Uh, Lagavulin is is Lagavulin yeah. is what I I consider I the I, same genre. Except what makes it so much better is it's just like it's got well so rounded much balance between all of these flavors. Right. Um. But it is very in your face. Like I. This, yes. I really so really this like it. Is not balanced. It's not very complex. But what it has, I really like. I like it. I, I think I do like it better than the Lefroig lore. You know what? I do too because I'm not a big fan of the Lafroy lore. Uh, oh, you're not? No, every time I have it, I think I'd rather be drinking Lafroy 10. Really? That's when I drink Lafroy lore, that's what I think. And the and the lore is so much more expensive. Yeah, it's like 115, 120 bucks. Right. So, um I, but I I've do never, like So, uh, never to preferred me, it. if you if you like uh, the the smoky, the peaty, I to me I I, I mean, it, it's a tough uh, it's a tough buy at 115 bucks because like yeah. it's just tough to buy a bottle of scotch at 115 bucks in my opinion. But uh, I I actually I, think for if, a, if you, over 100 bucks, I expect a, a whole whole lot. Right, but I think that if you're an Isla Scotch drinker, you like uh, Pete, you like uh, you like that that style of scotch. I do think it's worth mm -hmm. the money. Like we had, for instance, we had the Octomore several. You know, like about a month ago. I don't know. It's like roughly sure. that long ago. And it was about 200 bucks. I don't remember. I think it was like 190 or ish. It was mm -hmm. close to 200. And actually, I thought it was worth it. Like, it, that bottle of scotch, I felt like actually delivered for that price uh, because it was so incredible. Mm -hmm. I, I, usually when I buy an expensive bottle of scotch, I think, you know, uh, it's just not going to be everything it's cracked up to be. That was one that I said, okay, I mean, this is really blowing me away. Yeah. So I like it. I like our, uh, uh, I like the scorch. Um, it is, it is good. So, so when we get back, we're going to talk with, with Pat Flynn, the Pat Flynn, the one from, and only from Chronicles of strength.com, the Pat Flynn show. We're going to talk. Uh, about the cosmological argument or abandoning the principle of sufficient reason, which is a conundrum for atheists. We'll be right back.
This segment of The Catholic Man Show is brought to you by the Catholic woodworker Jonathan Conrad focuses on equipping families for battle in the modern world. We're very excited that the Catholic Woodworker sponsors our show. Everything that they put out is top-notch. It's heirloom quality. It's handmade. Whether it's home altars, crucifixes, or rosaries, they're actually now the producer of the official rosary of the Catholic Man Show. So go check it out. Yeah, if you use TCMS for the Catholic Man Show as a promo code, you get 10% off all of your purchases. Let's him know that we sent you. He'll continue supporting the show. Go support Jonathan at thecatholicwoodworker.com. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan, and we got we got Jim Spencer. Jim Spencer, it's his given name. Jimbo Baggins, that's what his friends call him. We are Sans Juan today, so I'm doing I'm I'm uh I'm doing a lot of stuff. I've got the buttons here before me. Mouse in hand, also still have a microphone. You do- it's like it's like old times, man. It's <laughs> it's like old times. Four years ago. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we are joined by the one and only Pat Flynn again. Pat, you're uh, you're quickly becoming one of our most popular guests. Is that right? On, well, on the Catholic Man Show, yeah. I don't, appear, I don't know what to, I don't know what to make of that to be honest, but I'm I'm flattered. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. This is yeah. uh, this is a real treat. It's always a treat for me. So uh, for, we've been talking a lot about this. So I'm just going to say for those who, for those of you who don't know, I don't really think that there are many people out there who don't know about it by now. But um, Pat has been doing a course for us. It's all about the virtues and about fitness. Um, it's about you know being fit not only of body but of soul. It's kind of you know like this approach of. Uh, because, like being whole uh, as a person, um, and you know this is one of this is one of Pat's specialties. Uh, you you know he does a podcast really is just dedicated to like this kind of thing, um, and so he's put together a, a course for us. It's only available to our patrons. So uh, if you are one of our patrons, make sure to go to our patreon.com Patreon account, um, log in there, and and you can get all the videos um, as they come out. Right now, we're making the first episode or the first video, course the first video. course yeah. yes thank you of uh, available to everyone for limited time two weeks okay mm-hmm. so go and check it out it's it's the first course the first course is also really great it's uh, pat you go through the virtues uh, about you know which ones apply to fitness uh, what are the vices that that need to be um You'd be you made aware look, of, yeah. Look out for right. uh, some of the like the common pitfalls when people start getting into fitness, um, and you talk about your own journey and you're like this is what happened to me, and so uh, it just it's a really great uh, overview of of the course of the yeah of the course in the fitness world. So go to our website, yeah, yeah, and and you can get get that that first uh, course for free for two weeks only. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's not what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about something totally no, not different. even not even close. But no, I do want to say, guys, it, it is a it is a real honor to have been able to work with you, and I hope people dig the course. I had a blast putting it together, and it's actually you know one of the first opportunities for me to really blend two great passions, which is just Catholic philosophy and theology and working out. So I want to thank both of you for that wonderful opportunity, and I hope your patrons very much dig it. 
yoked of mind and body. Be yoked. Cheers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but so, so Pat, we're going to talk a little bit about the problems of evil this evening. We're, mm. In, in mm. relation to... Yeah, this is like the big... This is the big one. I think, like, of all the stuff, this is the the strongest argument. I think this is the the this is hard to overcome. Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably right. the strongest argument that a lot of I think that's what Aquinas atheists. said, didn't he? He said, "Was it Aquinas or was it uh, Augustine?" I mean, Aquinas, uh, you know, uh, pretty famously has you know like two objections against God, you know, that he considers, and one is that. Uh, and they're both objections that are still around. So, you know, Aquinas is as relevant as ever. One is that you just don't need God as an explanation, right? Like we can just lean out the whole ontology. It's just a, it's just superfluous, right? Just a, br- a brute and fact. Just, yeah, you know, and look, I mean, that's, um, that is exactly uh, in line with various proposals today. So Aquinas was, you know, he, he, he knew what's up. Um, and the other one is, of course, evil, right? How, how do we reconcile this? We, we have this idea yeah. of God. Uh, who's you know omni attributed, all good, all powerful, um, and yet look around, right? Yeah, there it right. is. That's that's the argument, right? What's what's up? What's up with this? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, if the if problem of evil is their biggest, it's only the biggest argument if uh, the principle of sufficient reason is it is like you take that into effect, right? If you take that into account, then that's then that's where the rubber meets the road i guess if you will well i think the the reason why this is such a powerful argument is because the problem with evil and suffering is intimately known by every single person who walks the planet okay you know not everybody has come to like this intimate level of understanding like you know like when we say in the in the biblical sense to know something you know to like you know to like really have it almost be a part of you not a, very few people, I think, have actually come to the level of like, oh, do we need a God or do we, you know, not need a God? You know, like, but everybody knows suffering, you know, right. and it's and there's and it and so that's that's why it's such a problem, because part of us says I shouldn't be suffering. You know, like we know deep down that I, I'm not made for suffering. And so, like, if I am suffering, well, then this idea of this great all loving God doesn't seem to square with my experience, you know? And right. so like, it's, you can't argue against that because mm-hmm. everyone has that experience. That's why it's such, that's, it's why it's uh, difficult to have objections and like arguments against because it's like, look, you can come up with all these arguments you want, but I've experienced stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. right. Yeah. You don't know what I know type of thing. And, and the, the, the response to that is you're right. I don't. I have no idea, and my my general posture in life is is to assume that people have borne far more uh, than we assume, and probably often more than we could even imagine. And this is you know this is some some good stage setting for this because when it comes to the problem of evil, um, I want to I want to be careful because it is such a, a heavy topic, as David says. You know we are all impacted by suffering tremendously in our lives, and we know others who are impacted by suffering tremendously in our lives. However. When we're doing philosophy, it can often come off as somewhat cold and abstract, right? But so, so we have to kind of like break this out a little bit into what is often known as the emotional problem of evil, right? Or the practical problem of evil 
and the intellectual prop of evil. Uh, everything that you just said, David, like that's that's kind of on the on the level of the emotional and practical probably why why God why what does this mean for me how do I handle this why did you allow this to happen right uh, we're not going to be talking about that today because that's that's not my territory right uh, the intellectual problem evil that's where the philosopher goes and that's where we have to do our best in our sober moments to try and just apply the coldness of reason to get to the bottom of things and say, well, what what is the truth here? Is evil really in contradiction with God? That would be a strong form of the problem of evil. Like there's literally like some contradiction between the world we experience, suffering, evil, and the existence of, of the Christian God specifically. Uh, or there's other problems of evil, evidential problems of evil, or probabilistic problems of evil that would say, okay, maybe there's not a contradiction between God and evil, but I mean, just again, just let's look around, guys, right? It's just, it's just, it's just such a circus out here um, that whatever else we want to say, it just seems that the either evil in general or the amount of evil or the types of evil, it just seems to make God's existence seem very improbable, right? That would be more of an evidential problem of evil, and the. The philosopher's job is, again, to, in our sober moments, try and evaluate those claims and try and get to the truth of the matter. So I say all that because I recognize, again, that all of us deal with suffering and evil tremendously. And in one sense, um, it's, it's a pastoral problem. But the philosopher is not doing that, right? That's, right. that's for your friends. That's for your priest, right? That's, that's for your prayer life. The philosopher is just really trying to figure out, okay, does does evil either disprove God or does it make God less probable in some sense as a, as a working hypothesis, if you want to put it like that. So I always feel that those, that's necessary to begin the conversation with because like, I don't want people to like, oh, these guys are talking about the problem of evil. I better send this to my friend who has cancer, right? And that's, that would be wildly, right? That's just, it would just be wildly inappropriate, right? Now, in another sense, I do want to say this, right? Is if you can work this stuff through philosophically, and you know maybe it's not in a, in a moment of, of of tremendous suffering. Then I do think that there is a, a pastoral effect that can be had. I was talking with John DeRosa about this the other day, in a sense that if if you really do reason your way to God, and you really do come to see that that God can have reasons for allowing suffering and evil, that 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 an imperfect world is not incompatible with God, and you have what you feel are just really good independent reasons to believe in God and that God is all good. Then from that reason position, you can trust and hope that whatever you're going through at any point in life, there is a good reason for it, even if you don't see what the reason is. Mm-hmm. And that, that at least even for me, has been incredibly therapeutic, right? Like even if I don't see the reason, this, isn't, this will become important as we talk more about the problem of evil. Even if I don't see the reason for whatever is afflicting me or somebody else, doesn't mean that I see there are no reasons. And that's, that's an important yeah, difference. Yeah. However, if I have reasons to see that there is a God and that God is all good, well, then I can see that there must be reasons, even I don't see what those reasons are. And and I think that if people grasp that, that actually can give great comfort mm-hmm. in times of pain because it's, it's reasoned, it's secure. There's still great mystery there, but there's, um, there's an intelligent hope, right? And um, – so yeah, I'll just I'll just start with that. So I'll kick it back over to you guys. And, and you know, I think, Pat, that even for someone who's like not 
you know, there's people who just like are more emotional. They think with their emotions or they, you know, make decisions that way. And then there's other people who are more logical and analytical. Right. Yeah. You're left brained or right brained or whatever, you know, even for the most, you know, like the person who says, look, the arguments, the logic, it just doesn't appeal to me. But eventually, once they if they just hear the arguments and know that they exist, I think eventually they do kind of set in. So I agree. Yeah. I cannot believe the first segment is over already, but yeah. we'll be right back. We're talking with Pat Flynn about the problem of evil. I think we've set up the problem pretty well, so we're going to really get into the philosophy on the other side of this break. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Cheers. Do you feel like God is calling you to go on a pilgrimage? Well, for the last 34 years, Select International Tours has been leading pilgrimages to holy sites all over the world. And you want when you go on pilgrimages, Dave, you want to make sure you have the great the best hotels, you're touring with the best guides, and every detail has been addressed. And that's exactly what you're getting with Select International Tours. So, for more information, go to their brand new website, selectinternationaltours.com. They have been a sponsor of the Catholic Man Show for a long time now. Even during the COVID pandemic, they were still sponsoring our show. A lot of other tour companies were really shutting down. These guys were consistent. So go to selectinternationaltours.com to find out more information about all the great pilgrimages they offer all over the world. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Sipping on a little bit of this Ardbeg Scorch. Delicious. It is really good. Um, I was not sure what to expect of it, but it's very good. Totally. A- as we've continued to drink it, yeah. I've, I've even liked it even more. As I'm, as I'm drinking it more, the sweetness is really coming out. Yeah. Which we, didn't show up at first. At, at first, you're right. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, we have our good buddy Pat Flynn back with us. Uh, if you guys have not, we've, we've we've he's been on our show several times. We've pushed his podcast, the Pat Flynn Show. If you have not checked it out, go uh, wherever you you listen to podcasts and type in the Pat Flynn Show. You'll see his Chronicles of Strength. Chronicles of Strength. It's the best website. Is that your website? Right. Yes. That is like what a Chronicles sweet of Chronicles of Strength. Yes. So go check that a out sweet, as well. You can see what name. all all uh, Pat's doing. I know that he, you have a. At least one, maybe two books in the working. Uh, so, That's correct. So mm-hmm. sign up for yeah. your email blast so that way you can stay up to date with, with Pat and what he has going on and his projects that he has going on. It's becoming more and more important to sign up for the emails. Like if, if you like an outlet, people are getting deplatformed, you know, so much these days. People get right. deplatformed and you don't even know it if you don't, right. if you don't uh, subscribe to their email list. Right. Yeah. And I say that as a guy who hates getting email. (laughs) I absolutely despise. It's like if I get an email that I like wasn't waiting for, if I'm not sitting there like, oh, yeah, so and so is going to email me. I'm waiting for this email. If it's not that email, it makes me so mad. And I still say that it's becoming more and more important. Like that's that's how how important that's how important it is, bro. (laughs) So. So we're talking about the problem of evil with Pat. Pat, I, uh, in between breaks, we were talking and we we're trying to figure out, okay, what's the next step that we should take? How, you know, how do we broach the topic? Before I think sure. we, we, we line out kind of 
uh, your argument between the cosmological argument and the problems of evil right. and, and the, uh, the way you have to take this, if you're going to take one way, you got to take the other way. Uh, we should probably define some terms. Uh, yeah. one, being, one being evil. I think evil is probably a good term to define because sure. uh, uh-huh. it has a, a lot of baggage, a lot of emotional uh, pull one way or the other with evil. Right. So uh, why, don't mm-hmm. we, why don't you define or what, what you would define as evil? Yeah, so I'm I'm going to take a traditional view on on what evil is, right? I think that upon its final analysis, evil is a privation, and what we mean by a privation is that it is a do good gone missing. It's something that's absent that otherwise would belong to the perfection of a thing. So uh, these could be more, and and the way I'm using evil in this sense is broad enough that it could cover both natural and moral evils, right? And this is sometimes a distinction that's that's made in the in the literature. So an example of a natural evil would be blindness. Right. So what's what is it about blindness? Well, it's not something you can touch or grab onto. Right. It's actually something that isn't there that we think should be there, given the nature of uh, a being with eyes. Right. Uh, so it's what's missing is the evil thing. It's a privation. And it's why we say it's a do good gone missing. So it's not bad that rocks are blind because having sight isn't due to a rock. It's nature isn't the type of thing that sees. Right. But if I were blind. I don't have great eyesight, so I have I have something of, of an evil, of a privation because I have pretty bad astigmatism, right? Um, but in in blindness, especially for for people like us, right, that that is something we should have. Normally, that's something we should have, right? Uh, a moral evil uh, would uh, concern a, a particular judgment, right? So we make a we make a judgment to perform an action, but we forget to say consider a moral rule. So say like I want money, right? And um, I, I see you on the street and you look like you got a nice Rolex on and I say, hey, there's a way to get money and I take the crowbar over your head and I take the Rolex. All that stuff that was involved in that, like muscles flexing and crowbars, like none of those things are bad in and of themselves, right? A crowbar is good, like muscle flexing, we do that in the gym, like that's fine, right? What's bad is that I forgot to apply the moral rule that I shouldn't beat an innocent man over the head with a crowbar in my oh, pursuit yeah. of money, I right? Forgot, yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> yeah. My bad. God, right? I forget yeah. about that all the time. <laughs> Dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's upon its final analysis, it's that thing that's missing that ought to have been there, right? The moral rule or the consideration and the appropriate way to go about getting money, which, you know, there's many ways to do that, but obviously beating somebody who's innocent over the head with a crowbar is not one of them, right? So that's the way I'm thinking about evil. I think that's the right way to think about evil. And it also shows that there is what we would say an ontological asymmetry between good and evil. That whatever else good and evil are, they aren't on a same metaphysical par, right? Because um, in order to make sense of evil, you first actually need something that is good, otherwise good, that evil either attacks or, or draws away from or is parasitic upon, right? So evil always depends upon good. But good does not depend upon evil, so there's an asymmetry there. So whatever else is like most fundamental about reality, it's going to be goodness, right? It's going to be goodness. Evil needs goodness to be made sense of. Goodness does not need evil to be made sense of, and that's uh, I think that's an important meditation for people to think about. In fact, there's sometimes been this idea, well, maybe God is, is an evil God or something like that. But once you do the metaphysics, that makes no sense because of what I've just said, right? If you think whatever else God is is the f- most fundamental aspect of reality, and you have uh, reasons like I've just described to think that whatever the most fundamental aspect of reality is, it's going to be good. Well, then the idea of an evil God becomes incoherent. It's nonsense, right? So whatever else God is, if he's most fundamental, is going to be good, right? Fundamentally good as well. So um, now there's going to be people who disagree with that. Uh, well, Pat, I, about I just want to say we, that's hmm. why I don't think people should be drinking decaf coffee. 
okay? Because it's I, evil. It's you know, missing something that should be. There, there. there is there is a good which is natural to it, which has been deprived of it. <laughs> okay, and so decaf coffee is evil. It 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 like qualitatively <laughs> meets the definition of being. We've got an evil. argument on the table here, right? Yeah, I mean, um, that may be true. Uh, fortunately, I don't <laughs> think I have. I don't have uh, culpability there because I do not drink decaf coffee. So, yeah. I, I already knew that about you. I could just tell <laughs> that's a guy who doesn't drink decaf right there. Right. But right. it just, you know, it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. Okay, so 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 Pat, though, I, I, I can hear somebody saying, okay, I, I understand that. But then now you're saying that there's an all-good God, and he has, and he's all-powerful. He's immutable. He's outside of time. He's, uh, he's omnipotent. He, right. He, he's everything. And so now you're saying that he has the power to take away evil, but he doesn't, or he or he has the he has he's either willing to and he's not capable, or he's either able to and not willing to, or right. a combination of both, uh, yes, which would not be an would which would not be a yeah. uh, a good god. Right. So this is this is traces way back. It's known as the Epicurean paradox, right? And David Hume, uh, sort of, uh, uh, is somebody who who cites Epicurus. In uh, formulating a very strong form of the problem evil, which you've just articulated, right? So uh, we could also say it's something like this, right? If if God is all powerful, He can create any world He runs once, right? Okay, that right? seems plausible enough. If God is all good, then He would not create uh, a world with evil and suffering in it, right? Um, okay, well now it seems like we've got a real big issue, right? Because we hold that God is all good and all powerful, and clearly we live in a world that is suffused with with evil, right? With suffering. So the the, the general response to the, to the logical problem of evil, and I think it I think it should be noted that this is an area where actual philosophical progress like has been made. Like in 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 the general run, it seems like both theists and atheists have agreed that the logical problem of evil doesn't work, right? Now why is that? Because it kind of has to smuggle in a certain assumption, and that is that God couldn't have reasons, uh, good reasons, morally sufficient reasons for allowing a world where there's suffering and evil to exist, right? So unless you can kind of prove that premise, it's really hard to get the logical problem evil to go through. So this is where the theist can rightfully say, well, look, we're just not in an epistemic position to make those kinds of judgments, right? We're finite, fallible creatures. We occupy a very small space. God, you know, he, he sees all of his creation at once, right? He beholds his entire creation in one single perfect eternal insight, right? So might God have God-sized reasons uh, for creating the world that, that he did that we might not uh, have access to, that we might not be privy to? And the very reasonable response there is is yes, obviously, right? Of course. And unless somebody were to kind of be able to assume the mind of God, right, Um they, the atheist in pushing a logical problem of evil there has really just taken on an, a burden of proof that is in principle unsustainable, right? So this is a, a place where the theist can kind of just kind of just say, look, you can't bear this premise out. Nobody has borne this premise out. Uh, so that's where the logical problem of evil kind of stalls out. Now, people aren't, again, very emotionally satisfied with that type of response. But here's the other thing in these types of arguments, right? The person who's advancing the argument, they have the burden of proof, Right. It's not on the theist here to say, well, here's why God allowed evil, right? Uh, it's because he wanted fallibly free creatures or because God can bring greater goods out of it. Now, those are traditional responses, right? Mm -hmm. But the burden of proof 
in in this general conversation is on the person who's pressing the argument, right? So that's a skeptic at this point. And that means they need to show that God could not have sufficient reasons, good reasons, morally sufficient reasons. And so that's where the logical problem evil kind of stalls out. And and I think it is worth, you know, saying like, you know, a, a few general things about what some of those reasons might be. Um, I, you know, free will is a, is a traditional uh, response. I tend to be a little bit more subtle about free will defenses. I hold what's called a soft free will defense. And I think it is, uh, so I am, a, I am a libertarian when it comes to free will. And I think that uh, God saw that it was good to create us and what we are, not just free creatures, but we're fallibly free creatures. And it's that second uh, part of us that people often forget. And I'll just say a few words about this. Um, and we can we can move on to something else because it's not a, it's not a huge point, but I think it's I think it's it's worth mentioning. Uh, only God is the subsistent good itself, right? Only God is subsistent being itself, right? So that means only God is the good, full stop. So only God is sort of His own moral standard, just because God is the moral standard, right? Everything else God creates, in a sense, is always going to have to kind of look beyond itself for the moral standard for the good. And in doing so, it, it, it could always not look, right? So what I'm saying is God can't create a free being that is also impeccable by itself. Maybe he can give it special graces, always, to look at the rule. But by nature, we're not just free, but we're fallibly free. And I'll have more to say about why that's relevant after the break. Okay, cool. Very good. We're here with Pat Flynn. We will be right back. So if I was, if I have not gone through all these arguments, I would, and I was the atheist, I'm just, you know, trying to play devil's advocate here. I would have been like, you're using the gods of the gaps fallacy here. You're saying that uh, we don't know what God, you know, we don't have the, the mind of God. God has this internal view. And so that you're just playing the gods of the gap. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that would be an interesting response. I suppose atheists could say something like that. I mean, it's definitely not the argument from ignorance, God of the gaps fallacy, right? Because we're not trying to plug some aspect of, say, scientific knowledge um, with uh, supernatural intervention here. In fact, I would flip it on the atheist and say this. Well, look, look atheists, right? Um, you are often so... Uh, eager to talk about we should be more humble, right? We shouldn't assume to know more than we do about the world, right? And yet you're making all these grand assumptions about God, right? So where's the intellectual humility there, right? So that's what the atheist often says uh, in response to theistic arguments for God's existence. It'll say, well, look, well, science just hasn't figured it out yet. We should be more humble about what we don't know. Well, let's be consistent then, right? When it comes to theology, right? If God is on the table, then we should be more humble about what we don't know when we clearly don't have a full appropriation of God's mind. We don't know all the reasons that God could have, nor should we expect to, right? So that's the other thing. It's like we should actually expect a degree of just impenetrable mystery here, right? Because we will never be able, even in heaven, right? The standard account is we will never be able to fully appropriate the essence of God, right? So just given who God is, God's relation to the world, our relation to God, uh, there's a principled mysterianism that the theist is entitled to in the sense that um, it's not surprising uh, that we don't see the reasons for everything. And in fact, that's exactly what we should expect given a theistic worldview. So that's just how I would start to maybe joust around with that. Yeah, I didn't want to bring that up on because it, it would get us too far afield yeah. from where we were going, yeah. but I just wanted to throw it out there in between breaks. Yeah, I would just point out that irony, right? How they're, they're always kind of talking about 
intellectual humility. Don't don't assume more than 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 we yeah. actually know. And yet they frequently do that in these types of conversations, at least when they're trying to critique theism, right? Okay. So, so do, cool. we, do we have a lot to cover in this? We have a lot to cover. Yeah, because we, like we, we haven't gotten it. We're just getting warmed up. Yeah. So, but, uh, so you, you went through, uh, point number one. Yeah. We're just, we're just playing around diffusing the logical problem. I'm, I'm put, I'm going to put a soft free will defense on the table. I'll talk about the greater goods, uh, and I'll talk about God is not a moral agent. And then I want to start going on the offense a little bit with, with two different moves. If that's cool with you guys. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if we don't get to, I mean, we, we yeah, will not I, I mean, get, I think we got to try to wrap up the first part as quickly as possible, just so we can get to it. Uh, for, cool. for for radio purposes, yeah. because uh, this is the last segment for for radio, like people who who listen to this on the uh, radio. I will try and get my first offense on the table for the radio. Yeah, and then, so let me yeah. yeah let me dash through some of this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and then we'll uh and then we'll say hey pick it up on the podcast if you want to listen to the rest of it, which we do all the time. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we'll yeah we can do the PSR stuff and on the podcast. Cool. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. Got Jim Spencer guarding the door. We're here with Pat Flynn. Pat, gentlemen, you were you were really getting into. Uh, I, w- I want you to wrap up this whole soft free will, right? Thing. I'm not familiar with a soft free will, so I'm. I think I'm very... I coined it. I, I I think I coined it. Right. So a soft free will defense says this, God uh, saw that it was good to create free beings. Uh, by nature, we're fallible, so we can fail, right? We obviously do fail. We see that all the time, right? That's that's why there's so much evil in the world. We frequently fail morally, right? Now, a wise God, generally, I would say this is a safe assumption. If he's going to create things of a certain nature, then most of the time, generally, in the general run, he's going to govern them according to the type of thing that they are, right? So he's not going to constantly override us or constantly just uh, uh, cause us uh, to to not fail, right? Because it's kind of not letting us be who we are. It, it's analogous in a way that God wouldn't just perform constant miracles all the time because it would make nonsense of creation, right? Like whatever else a miracle is, it's going to be a rare thing. It's going to serve a really important purpose. But otherwise, God lets his sort of creation and, and the natures run their course, right? Because that's, what, that's how a wise God governs. If he's going to create things of a certain type, he's going to guide them according to the mode of being that they are. We're free, but we're also fallible, and that's good. God lets us be who we are, and this ties into another general point is that if and when we fail, God is powerful enough that he can bring greater goods out of it, right? What are some of these What are some of these possible greater goods? Well, just list a smattering, right, like courage, empathy, compassion, forgiveness, mercy. If we want to push into Christian theology, the incarnation, the atonement, right, uh, would we have the incarnation and the atonement? Would we have this radical expression of God and this inv- inv- invitation to eternal friendship with God had we not failed? That's an interesting point of speculation that has had much debate throughout the centuries of Catholic theology, right? But there's yeah, clearly— I think, I think this point really lands home with just about everybody. I mean, I don't think it—I mean, even the atheists have to admit that there is suffering in their own lives that has borne a greater good, that there are things that— you know, that they have become a better person because of a lot of the challenges, specifically the challenges in their life that have made them 
a better person. I mean, I mean, it's like it's a pretty easy argument to right. win. I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's at least enough to show that the atheist is not going to be able to sustain that burden of proof to get the logical problem yeah. to, to go through, yeah. right? And we don't have to say that it's any one of those reasons in particular. We're just showing like it's it's obviously possible, right? Like, and just sure. the, the fact that it's possible that greater goods could come out of this, pair that with a soft free will defense. And the reason I call it soft is I think God, it is within God's power that he could have made essentially uh, uh, blessed uh, – Virgin Marys of us all, right? Because we believe that she got very special graces, right? But in the general run, he's not going to do that, right? Because in the same reason, God doesn't perform miracles all the time. So there's some kind of technical debates there between different ways of viewing free will that aren't exactly relevant to this conversation. So that's that's how you can start to start to diffuse the logical problem of evil. But then the evidential problem comes on the scene, right? And it's, it's the idea where the skeptic will, will concede, okay, all right, maybe we can't get a contradiction out. Here, which is a huge concession, right? Because that's if if there were a contradiction, then we would have a big problem, right? Because contradictions are, are bad. We don't we don't want we don't like contradictions because they're impossible, right? So that would be a serious threat. Um, so so what gets pushed instead are these evidential problems of you. Atheist philosopher Bill Rowe is really well known for this, and, and the idea is just okay. Uh, look at all the evil we have, just the sheer amount of it, the sheer weight and the types. That we have and you tell me that you think that this makes probable god's existence and of course the argument is no it should make god's existence seem exceedingly improbable i'm going to try and get out a response to this quickly before the radio segment ends and i want to say actually this can be turned against the atheist and what i want to say is that when that it's only superficially uh, a problem for theism but it's substantially a problem for atheism and the reason I want to say that is this, is that evil itself, when it's properly considered, and to make sense of the judgment of evil, that there really is a do-good gone missing, right? That something isn't there that should have been there. There's a lot that we need on the scene to cash out that judgment, to substantiate that judgment, and to make sense of that judgment. What are some things that we need on the scene to make sense of that? Well, we need an idea of a moral standard for one thing, right? If we don't have a moral standard, we really can't make moral judgments. So we need a moral standard. Another thing that we need is a contingent universe, right? If we didn't have this universe in the first place, if nothing existed instead of something, then there would be no problem of evil, right? We also need rational agents, rational moral agents like us living in moral communities that can have conversations like these and discuss about when people fail and somehow have some type of ability to kind of like link up with this moral standard, right? To feel like it has not just an existence that transcends us, but that it bears obligations upon us. And that's significant. It's not just like, oh, moral standard, have a nice day. No, we feel that like we have real obligations to do certain things, to act certain ways, and to not act other ways too. So it's not just a sort of cognitive contact with it, but it's, it's, it's these obligatory relationship that we have with it. And we need to explain all of that to make sense of our judgment of evil. And what I want to say is when you take all that under consideration, all those aspects that I just described are best, if not only explained by theism and do not find an adequate or even possible explanation on naturalism or atheism. 
So let me give a, a quick analogy that I, I that I think helps with this. I'm borrowing this from my friend Tim McGrew. He's an epistemologist, and and this will set the stage for the kind of reasoning that we're going to use on this kind of first offense here, where we can kind of flip the problem of evil. Imagine you're walking in the woods, right, and you stumble upon what seems to be an abandoned cabin. It's you know it's all mildew. The door is kind of hanging off. Uh, but then you peek inside, and there's a cup of tea steeping there, and it's it's a cup of hot Earl Grey tea steeping right in the cabin. Well, like immediately from that one data point, you revise your hypothesis and you say, no, this cabin is occupied, right? Now, what is the probability that uh, any given cabin, cabin you encounter will have a cup of tea steeping in it, let alone Earl Grey? The answer is probably, I have no idea. And in fact, it's probably very low, right? However, what's the probability that an abandoned cabin would have a cup of tea steeping in it? The answer is Zero. like nothing. Right. Yeah. Or at least like exceedingly, exceedingly low. And so like even if you think it's low that there will be a cup of tea on the uh, occupied cabin, say it's one percent. It's so much lower on the abandoned cabin hypothesis that when you uh, encounter the cup of tea, you immediately know you just know right away that this cabin is occupied. Well, I want to say the same thing with the problem of evil in relation to theism. What's the probability that God would allow a world like ours, given what we think we know about God as being all good and all powerful? Maybe you think it's really low. Maybe you think it's 1%. Maybe you think it's 0.5%. But what's the probability that we would experience evil in relation to all the things I described if God didn't exist? Personally, guys, I think it's 0%. I don't think there would be a problem evil because I don't think there would be a universe at all, right, if God didn't exist. And atheism and its resources to give us a moral standard, to give us uh, conscious, rational agents – to give us or make sense of a contingent universe is so extremely impoverished. And you need all of these things to make sense of that judgment of evil to even form a problem of evil in the first place. Whereas on theism, you have a moral standard guaranteed because you have God, right? So God just as subsistent goodness itself, that locks in a moral standard. Presumably God would have reasons to create fallibly free beings, conscious agents like us. God, I think, offers the only adequate explanation for a contingent universe and a necessary supreme being. So to my mind, when you take the more substantial analysis, the data point of evil itself, even if you think it might be low on theism initially, the fact that it's there at all actually greatly confirms the theistic hypothesis because it's so much lower on atheism. It's so much lower hmm. uh, on a naturalistic hypothesis that just like the idea of stumbling across that cup of steeping tea immediately causes you to know this house is occupied, I would argue upon a, a deeper rational analysis of the nature of evil, it should cause you to realize actually that this is, if not a proof for God, actually very strong evidence for God. And it's only on the superficial struggle that it seems to count against God, but on the deeper analysis of what evil is, all that is evil is contingent upon it's going to count in favor of theism. Does that make any sense, what I just described? Yeah, no, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I mean, truthfully, evil can, like, evil can only be so evil because God is so good. I mean, once again, because we're, def the definition is the deprecation of the good. It's only because God is so infinitely good that evil has the ability to be so bad. I mean, if God were just kind of like, yeah, he's pretty cool, then the greatest <laughs> evil in the world would be like, yeah, that wasn't so bad. You know, I mean, but because we all know that there are 
profoundly terrible, evil things. I mean, it's like that's a reflection of how good God is in the world. And I mean, so I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and some people grasp this very intuitively, but I want to, you know, I want to be charitable, especially for people who have are in the, you know, in the pit of hell, proverbially yeah. speaking, you know, in life. Um, because then, you know, at some point, right, we do want to venture into theodicy. So we're kind of playing around with what's called a defense right now. And a defense just tries to show that the atheist arguments don't work, and it kind of leaves it at that, right? A theodicy tries to go further and say, well, actually, here's maybe a story, or here's maybe a reason why God would allow evil or this type of evil or, or something like that. Um, and I think, that, I think that can actually be fruitful and useful for people. But it's important, again, to, to understand, like, what the project is at this point. And at this point, we're just trying to give a defense of showing not only does the problem of evil not go through, but when you take a deeper analysis of it, it actually better confirms atheistic than an atheist. Yep. So if you're listening on the radio right now, go to thecatholicmanshow.com. You can uh, listen to the rest of this episode with Pat Flynn. Make sure you go to his website, chroniclesofstrength.com. Check out his podcast, The Pat Flynn Show. Uh, Pat, thanks so much for hanging out with us, and we'll continue the conversation on the podcast. Groovy. We're in the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers and to Jesus. Cheers to Jesus. Cheers. Cool. So we can just keep going. Let's do it. I say we do it. I say we just keep going. Let's okay, keep so rocking. I think, I think it wrapped up pretty well. I mean, that was Yeah, like that was a, really good. It's good timing there at the It's very, very good timing. Good. Yeah, yeah, this radio stuff, it's tough. I'm used I know. to just gap on and on and on. I know. Well, yeah. I know. The people people always ask it like it sometimes it's it's a blessing and sometimes it's like frustrating, right? Because the blessing is it gives you a second to reset and like gather your thoughts and like how like where's the tra- trajectory of the, yeah. the conversation you're supposed to go? Yeah. And like that's that's nice, right? That you're not always working on the fly. But the the downfall is <laughs> you're right in the middle of a meaty topic that you're like you have the flow, and all of a sudden you hear the music, the and you're music like, and it's like, hey, what is that? It. Turn that off. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to interrupt I'm about this. to make so, a good point here. Right. There's uh, there's positives and negatives to it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but it's fun. Okay, so. It's fun so how, as you can make this topic anyways. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how is this, should we should we get into the relationship of how the conundrum that an atheist is, is going to, to be in? If, yeah. I mean, let me, let, me, let me talk about one more thing, right? Because okay. somebody might object and say, you know, Pat, you're, you're thinking of evil all wrong. There, there is no real evil, right? There's just these sort of mechanisms that develop through the evolutionary process that give us this idea of a moral structure in the world, but it's really just something there for survival value or something like that, right? Sure. And I want to say a couple things about this, right? If that's the case, then there is no problem of evil, right? Because there's really no problem at all. There's just an illusion of a problem. So if you really think that that's what morality reduces to, then you, you've lost the problem of evil, and you're no longer a moral realist. You are a moral nihilist at this point, right? And I, I would ask the skeptic to deeply consider that move. Um, because one, there's there's a lot of consequences to that worldview. One is like you, you you are committed to saying there's nothing really wrong with rape. Like maybe you don't like it personally, but there's no like binding moral structure out there that that we can make sense of the judgment that we commonly experience that when somebody performs an act of rape, they've done something horribly viciously wrong, right? Or you know, there's going to be no way that you can say that Germany now has made any moral progress since World War II or the Holocaust. 
there's no way to say that America has made any progress since we practice all those abominable forms of slavery. And I, do you really, do you really want to bite the bullet on all these things, friend? And uh, yeah, I don't. And the thing is, most atheists don't, right? And and even most most ethicists um, are moral realists, right? Uh, and this includes theists and atheists, right? Now, my critique is the atheist doesn't have the the, the metaphysics to bear out the moral realism. But it is important to understand that most professional ethicists, people who think most deeply about morality, are realists. They really do think that morality is an objective feature of the world. It's not, it's not subjective in the sense that we project it onto the world, right? It's something we really discover about the world, not something we really invent. Um, so to get a problem evil off the ground, you do need uh, some objective moral framework to work with, right? If you try to reduce it to the subjective, with a, a sort of reductive evolutionism, which I think has a million problems wrong with it in and of itself, you're going to lose the problem of evil at the get-go, right? Because you're also, you're also kind of begging the question that theism is wrong from the start, because the only reason you would think that naturalism gives a complete account of our moral experience, experience is if you're, if you're thinking of evolution with naturalism in the first place. Right, rather than evolution with theism. So in another sense, it's also kind of question begging. But I wanted to hedge that one because it's a common objection that that comes up in these types of conversations. Yeah, well, that's a very strong response. You know, I mean, just kind of that's and it, if and they it appeals the, to the emotions they, too. It's like, listen, if, if right. that's your take, then I'm not inviting you over for dinner. Like, Especially if you're not coming to my birthday party and yeah. you're going nowhere around my kids. Dude. Right, yeah. exactly. And, like, maybe there were more people five, ten years ago willing to, like, stake that claim to, like, yeah, no, there isn't anything wrong with rape. Or, like, yeah, r slavery was fine. These days, there's nobody there's nobody saying, yeah, slavery was just fine. Like, uh, Right. Or the, people the, who even just want to say, I just don't like it, right? Um, but, look, I don't like blueberry yogurt. So what? Right? Like that is that isn't how we experience morality, right? Morality isn't a matter of like liking blueberry raspberry yogurt. Like that's you, you not don't like you don't like blueberry yogurt? I was a little too quick on that. Um <laughs> I like blueberry yogurt. I mean it's delicious. I, I do like blueberry yogurt. I'm sorry. What what is a yogurt I don't like? Um actually I pretty much like all yogurts. That was a bad example. I don't like straight up Greek yogurt, like <laughs> It's just not. It's yeah. Like, it's like when I eat straight up Greek yogurt, I think uh, something's. It, it's very similar to the whole decaf coffee. Like, well, something's missing from this Greek yogurt. Like, yeah, a bunch of sugar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> who took Who took all the whey out of this yogurt? <laughs> it, would, it was delicious until you deprived it of right. <laughs> what it's supposed to have. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. This has. I digress. So yes, that's uh, most people don't want to bite those those bullets, and if if they do, uh, that's fine, right? Because then they've lost the problem of evil in any meaningful sense, and then we're just kind of back to deeper or other metaphysical concerns. Probably also get kicked right? off Facebook and YouTube and everything else. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, how you guys feel about the, these uh, these responses so far? Are we satisfied? Kind of make make I sense. Am. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I definitely am. Yeah, I think, right. it's, I think it's really good. Yeah, so uh, the one thing I want to say about the about sort of the, the argument I just made about it being better um, predicted or expected on theism, so that way it counts more in favor of theism than naturalism. Um, 
I don't necessarily think, by the way, just personally, that the probability of evil is very low, given the existence of God. But I'm just, I just want to say, for the sake of argument, you could concede that, right? Because, again, when you, when you consider everything else that we need on the scene to make sense of the judgment that there really is evil, uh, the atheist worldview, the naturalistic worldview, even if it's not impossible, which, frankly, I think it is for atheism to explain all the things we need to explain, it's, it's definitely far, 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 far less probable, right? And in that sense, evil will flip back around and actually be a data point. Ironically, in our sober analysis, right, that sounds ironic, will count in favor of theism rather than atheism. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Thank you. You're an easy audience, so appreciate it. Because <laughs> I'm so smart. That's why. <laughs> so yeah. So this pro- So this principle of sufficient reason thing. Uh, I don't know. Do we want to talk about that next, or where do you guys want to go with it? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's a good yeah. way into the uh, PSR and like okay, if you're if you're taking this this view. Then you have to you still you have to take that view, uh, with you know the argument that there was a creator that there is a, a being outside like you can't just say there's brute facts over here and there's not brute facts over here you know right there's there's a conundrum that you you, you put somebody into when you get to this point I think yeah so um, a little background I have a I have a paper that's currently under review so your audience will be getting a special sneak peek here of something has it hasn't been accepted yet so we'll see we'll see if, if it uh, if it's accepted but it's currently under review and the paper itself is attempting to pose a dilemma for a certain type of atheist it won't apply to all atheists or all, or all skeptics but the, the paper is, is tentatively titled accept the cosmological argument or abandon the problem of evil and what I say is this I say the problem of evil against the existence of God it actually depends upon the principle of sufficient reason to be able to make sense of it. But the problem is that the principle of sufficient reason actually entails the existence of God, or at least very probably uh, includes the existence of God, right? So the issue is that without the principle of sufficient reason, if the atheist abandons that, then they're not going to have a problem of, of evil. But with the principle of sufficient reason, which they need to get the problem of evil off the ground, well, then we already have God on the scene, right? So the I'm just giving the, the highlights here, right, is that... The, if my argument is right, then I think the skeptics are really caught. They're caught in a position of either accepting the cosmological argument, which means they then need to take the problem of evil and move it from the category of a philosophical objection to a theological mystery and deal with it as theists, or they can uh, try and uh, get out of the cosmological argument by giving up the principle of sufficient reason, which we'll explain what that is in a minute, but then they'll lose the support they need for the problem of evil. So either way, there's kind of a point scored for the theist. Either they have to concede theism, or they're going to lose what they feel is the best objection against theism. But they're going to have to give up one or the other. So that's kind of the the project that I've I've been engaging in. So you tell me where you want to kind of so dive yeah, into this. <laughs> they become a theist or stop being atheist. Either one, you choose. You know. Right. So yeah, let me let me see if I can explain it with like some simpler terms. Right. Is that at the end of the day, the problem of evil, the reason it's a problem, or the reason that the skeptic says it's a problem, is that if God exists, it doesn't make sense. Right. They'll say either like it makes no sense that there's evil at all given God, or it makes no sense that like there's this much evil. There's a problem of intelligibility that they're inserting. Like it's just kind of like something that we we really cannot make coherent on theism. It's just senseless. It's brute. It's it's brute to use a, a word that we'll we'll get along around to later. Now why is that relevant? Why is why is that an issue? 
Well, I say that's an issue because if you look to the literature of cosmological arguments, and cosmological arguments are, are arguments for God that start from some datum of experience, say that there's something contingent that exists, like Diamond Dallas Page, one of my favorite professional wrestlers, right? And that this reality kind of points to, yeah, hit him with the diamond cutter, right? Points to uh, <laughs> its limits, right? Because it's contingent, points to an extrinsic explanation, right? And then cosmological arguments will argue, well, all of reality can't be that category of thing, right? Because then nothing would exist. You have just a, a reality that's filled with dependent things that don't exist in virtue of what they are, and you have nothing for, upon which for them to depend. We would get a contradiction of fact, right? If, if all of reality were that type of thing, a contingent reality, then nothing would exist. So how are these arguments typically solved? They're solved by saying, well, there has to be at least something that's categorically different than that. There has to be a necessary reality, something that exists not through something else, but actually that exists through itself. And this is where we get to the traditional idea of God, is God is that pure act of existence existing through itself. He's not a cause of himself, because he doesn't need to be caused. He's always existed, right? He he's, has existence in sort of a built-in way. He just is subsistent existence itself, right? And then everything else that exists exists only because God sort of donates being to it, right? He he floods us with his causal influx, right? He gives us essay, to use a technical term. Okay, now, what is, what is I think, the strongest response to this type of argument? Or if it's not the strongest, it's one of them. It's certainly one of the most common that the atheist tries to get out of this argument. Well, it's by positing what's called a brute fact, right? This is what the atheist often does. And what they'll say is... Um, well, let me take a step back, right? Because this type, the type of argument that I just gave, which was a very hasty and inadequate sketch, it's it's sort of run by a commitment to what's called the principle of sufficient reason, right? That whatever exists has that whereby it exists, its active existence, right? It has actual existence either through itself or from another, right? And there's good reasons to accept the principle of sufficient reason. Um, one, it just seems like if we don't accept it, we would invite radical chaos into the world, like if things could just exist for no reason whatsoever, then, then why isn't that happening all the time? Like why isn't Diamond Dallas Page just spontaneously appearing in my living room hitting me with a diamond cutter? Uh, there's also skeptical issues if you deny the principle of sufficient reason. Like if things can exist for no reason whatsoever, then maybe my belief state that things could exist for no reason whatsoever exists for no reason whatsoever, right? But then I should be dubious or doubtful of that belief state, which means I have no good reason to deny the principle of sufficient reason, right? So like to even try and deny the principle of sufficient reason, uh, it undercuts itself, right? Like you'll, you'll lose any basis you have. So it kind of – if you try to get out of the principle of sufficient reason, it has a way of putting you like into a philosophical armbar. It just doesn't let you do it, right? So, okay, PSR is on the scene. That's what we need to fuel the cosmological argument to get to God, right? That's the general sketch. I spell all this out in much more detail in my paper with Diamond Dallas Page examples, as Adam will tell you. And um, <laughs> now what the skeptic will do to try and get around that is just say, no, let's deny the PSR. and Let's posit a brute fact. Like maybe you have explanations up to a certain point. This exists because of that. This exists because of that. But then we get to something, and skeptics vary on what that something is. And it's just there. No explanation needed, Right. And maybe it's just some fundamental laws of physics. Maybe it's just some fundamental particles. Maybe it's some uncaused but impersonal first event. They, again, they vary on what they, they say can just exist brutally. But the idea of a brute fact, and here's the key. Here's where this will tie in later, is that it's, it's not that we don't see the reason for why it exists. It's that there literally is no reason. 
It's just there and it's unintelligible. It makes no sense right. why it's there. It's just there. That's it. Now, if you remember what I said way earlier, right? What's the problem with the problem of evil? Well, the skeptic says it's a problem because something is on the scene that doesn't make sense, right? And what they're saying is that this is a problem. Why? Why is that a problem? Because things need to make sense. It's a problem if things don't make sense. That's why the problem of evil is a problem, right? Well, hold on a minute, skeptic, because you just said over here about this argument to avoid the existence of God that we can have brute facts and something not making sense. And you were totally cool with that, right? So over here, you're like, things don't, it's okay if things don't make sense. Not everything needs to make sense, says the skeptic in relation to cosmological arguments. But now over here, you're saying things do need to make sense because you're saying it's not cool if evil doesn't make sense. So now hopefully you can see the tension that I've built, right? And so what I say to the skeptic is this, right? Okay, either things need to make sense or they don't at the end of the day, right? And you're going to have to be consistent with that. Now, if you're consistent to things being intelligible, if you're consistent to things making sense, then you should accept the PSR and you should run the cosmological argument all the way to God. Why? Because the logical links between the PSR, the principles of reason, and God's existence are so much more obvious and transparent than any reasons people have given for why evil counts against the existence of God. And we've already given some responses why I don't think it counts against the existence of God, right? So there's a massive asymmetry here, right? So if things need to make sense, there's a clear position to favor. You take the PSR, you run straight to God, uh, and hopefully to a church too, and you take the problem of evil and you move it to theological mystery. It's no, it's it's done. It's not a philosophical problem anymore. It's a theological issue. Go do theodicy or something like that. Or you can say, okay, things don't need to make sense. I'm not accepting God. I'm going with brute facts. Well, then now you have no ammunition for the problem of evil, right? Because it's only a problem if you're committed to things making sense. So you can bite the bullet and say things don't need to make sense. But don't try and tell me that the problem of evil is a problem anymore. Now, there's one objection. Let me say one objection they might throw out here. And this is something I consider in more detail in my paper. But they might say, well, maybe it's just an internal problem for theists. It's because you're committed to the existence of God that you think things need to make sense. But they don't need to make sense for me. I'm an atheist. And what I'll say about that is this. is Okay, you can say that, right? But you're, you've only – now at this point, you've only moved the problem around. You, you actually haven't solved the problem because – I could still say to you, the, the skeptic, uh, well, so what if it doesn't make sense? Um, and they'll say, well, that's a problem. You should get rid of that worldview. And I should say, why should I get rid of that worldview? And they'll say, well, you shouldn't have a worldview that doesn't make sense. And I'll say, well, you just said that a worldview doesn't have to make sense, right? So there's no way that they're going to be able to get around the dilemma that I'm forming just by trying to make it what's called an internal critique, right? Because we could still ask, well, what's the issue here at just a higher or deeper deeper level? And in in if they're going to try and keep it an issue, they're going to betray their commitment to things needing to make sense, right? Yeah. Like we need to give up a worldview that doesn't make sense, which brings the PSR right back on the scene, on, on the right? Table. Yeah, nice. I mean, they're just right. kicking they're just kicking the can down the road. You know, that's all they're doing. Right. It's just like, okay, well now PSR is back on the table, which is an issue from the beginning, right? Right. So at the end of the day, I, I, I think this is a true dilemma. I really do. And I think that they have to make a choice here. Now, I think there's an obvious choice. I think the obvious choice is brute facts are, are radically unintelligible. You're going to have to give up a lot if you get, if you entertain brute facts, including any legitimate basis for philosophy and science. And then you're going to have to deal with those skeptical scenarios I set out before. Uh, so I think there's a clear thing to favor. But even if they want to bite the bullet, 
and give up the principle of sufficient reason, then they've at least lost the problem of evil. So either way, I think progress is, is made. I think anybody who ever argues the position of a brute fact it's like you're opening they're just just on like a regular normal person level they're just opening themselves up for somebody else to say like do you really think that you really think it's just i I mean it's like you really you think it's just a brute fact like to me only a dumb person would say that like it's just a stupid (laughs) it's just a stupid thing to say well but there's been like you're saying you're saying the quiet part's loud friend and like look at the end of the day i I mean it's just i'm just being honest like that's just a stupid thing to say about anything like oh no it's just a brute fact that something is the way it is like that's dumb you're dumb for saying that i'm like maybe you're not dumb in other ways but that was a dumb thing to say well, I mean, it, it strikes as being exceedingly ad hoc, right? And, um, you know, for somebody to want to sort of ride an explanatory principle for so long, but then, like, when theism starts kind of, like, blipping on the radar scene to want to just abandon it, it seems a little cheap, to say the least, right? And this is right. kind of the, the history of, of brute facts kind of coming on the scene. Bertrand Russell says very famously of the universe, well, it's just there. And that's all. But really, like, because it seems perfectly coherent to ask why why it's there, right? Did, like, did he ever walk that back? Did he ever? Uh, walk you know, that? I'm not. You know, Russell is very fascinating, and I, I cite him in in my article more than once. Um, I couldn't I couldn't offer a confident statement on that, okay. to, to be honest, because Russell Russell was somebody who was hard to pin down. It seems like like one one week he's kind of like toying with one worldview another you know another week is kind of toying with another one i mean and let me let me say you know the man was a man of extremely high intelligence right there's no doubt about it mm-hmm. but people of extremely high intelligence can hold to any number of extremely bizarre positions and views and that statement that i quoted uh from from russell kind of comes from actually a famous debate that he had with a uh, uh, father copleston on uh, on i think it was on british radio right and it's very much worth listening to that debate because I think Copleston's kind of a little bit like flabbergasted by that that type of response. But yeah, because he's sitting there thinking like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> like you might be really smart. That was a really dumb thing to say. Right. It just, um, it just it just doesn't. It's like to me that is at the level of stupidity. It doesn't even merit a response. You know, like at some at some point, you just have to say like, well, that idea is rubbish and I'm just going to have to like move on. I think the average person sees that. Right. Um, right. But it's then, only but intellectuals. Who, that, uh, you have it, to be either a college professor or seriously brain damaged to believe in brute facts. Uh, I'm with you there. Yeah, that's um, a good way to put it. <laughs> but, you know, the, the other thing I want to I want to say about it is is uh, two things. One is that it, it's nice because it's like, OK, if you think things can just exists without any explanation then uh that's fine but don't 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 try to assume the intellectual high ground anymore right right that's, that's exactly. if you want to live with that that's fine uh, so there's kind of a rhetorical move there but there's also just the rhetorician moves that i gave right um which i'm building off thinkers like alex Proust and robert coons and, and people who really go to the mat defending the psr of saying like look if you're committed to science if you're committed to philosophy you're already assuming the psr if you want to avoid a sort of radical self-defeating skepticism you're committed to the psr so you know a number of thinkers out there like they they want to make the argument that, that, the, that the psr is, is something that we can know a priori right it is a it's just, sure yeah um and if if we don't have that commitment then 
that we don't even have enough on the scene to make a reasonable doubt of the PSR, right? So, like, it's the brute fat objection can be met. But what you're saying, David, is, is interesting because, like, it is in, on one level so silly. It's like, why are we even trying to make like why why are we even doing the work here to meet this thing and i'll if, I, if we're just speaking frankly which obviously we are like oh yeah i'll be honest like it has never struck me as a as a troubling or serious objection yeah um but because it's posited so often and by people of otherwise high intelligence you know it's it's something that we've had to roll up our sleeves and and sort of deal with yeah, right? it's it's the burden but, but, of a but philosopher it's been useful, that you have but it's to useful do it now. Yeah, but it's useful now because now we're kind of been able to link it to the problem of evil, in a way. Sure. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you have to do it when you're in philosophy with like, okay, well, somebody came up with an argument. Well, if 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 your position is true, then it should be able to defeat any and all arguments, right? So you have to, even though you don't have the burden of proof. You know, if somebody else makes an argument against it, they have to prove it. Still, you should be able to prove any argument wrong. And so, like philosophers, that's like what they—that's what they do. And so, even the dumbest of arguments, you have to prove wrong. So, you know, and 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 to to an extent, that's a good thing because uh, we want we want all the objections we can get because objections are argument testers, right? Like we, we don't want to hold on to weak arguments, so we want to stress test arguments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, make sure make sure we've got something good here, right? Because we don't want to be diluted. We want to make sure that that we're actually arriving at um, at a sound conclusion, right? Uh, but uh, you know, with with even good objections, there's often a lot of just garbage that's ushered in right so that's just that's just kind of the nature of the game Uh uh-huh yeah and that i mean that's why aquinas is is so brilliant in what he does is he steel mans all the the best arguments in in the summa and then just breaks them he 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 like constructs all these steel man arguments and then just deconstructs them all in his answers it's like here here it is and you're like yeah aquinas where are you gonna go with this you are building this up you're putting yourself in the corner and then he just breaks it all right back down and says in like, like four words yeah. or something. But I mean, that's know? why he's as brilliant as he is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And like, again, I just, I, to, um, there have been, you know, very intelligent people who have pushed a, even if they don't call it a brute fact objection. And this is something I examined in the paper. Um, we don't have to get into detail now. What I, what I look at are certain responses from skeptics who posit um, what they think is an explanation, but but I say at the end of the day, this actually violates the PSR and is a brute fact. So even if they aren't sort of explicit in calling something a brute fact, I still uh, analyze a couple positions that I think are really just are mm-hmm. brute facts, right? That they don't they aren't able to cash out the PSR. So even if they wouldn't ad- admit it or call it that, uh, it still it still is that type of thing. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, I think you can only cash out the PSR if you get to God. And classical theism, right? So that's that's that has been the traditional move. So if you're just stopping short of anything uh, that that isn't pure actuality, then you are in tension or denial of the PSR, right? So even if you wouldn't call it a brute fact, that's that's really where you've arrived, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Pat, you are a a blessing to the church. I'm grateful that, to call you a friend. I'm thankful for your uh, help in in the course that you just put together for our patrons. Uh, I love to have you on the show. I wish that we could have you on the show. Uh, I'd actually like to talk to you once a week just on like 
things that I'm thinking about. <laughs> it's it's great to bounce things off of you and, and listen to you. So I, I'm grateful for you. Thank you for carving out the time this evening. Uh, give yeah. your wife and the kids the best on our end. Thank you for uh, for doing that. So, but we appreciate it so much. Guys, it is an absolute honor. I hope that this conversation in some way uh, serves your audience, and I would love to chat with you anytime. I mean it. Cool. All right. Thanks, Pat. All right. Adam, before we before we end this, I have something to give you. I'm incredibly nervous. I'm not sure what he last time he said that. I'm not sure what it was, but I don't know if I like and liked it or not hang on i'm almost ready what is this like you've it's been a plastic you've been, bag it's been in my pocket you've been yeah you've been like <laughs> you have been uh <laughs> that has been in your pocket this, this whole is time? a birthday brownie <laughs> it's been in my pocket for the last hour and a half <laughs> better that way it's warm i've been warming it that way i put it in a bag no reason for microwave 15 seconds no reason to i just put it in my pocket it's fine (laughs) it has been in a bag okay so it's been totally fine (laughs) you are turning 35 (laughs) yeah yeah that sounds i just want to tell you how ridiculously old you are halfway to 70 in in on Wednesday this week. Yes. You'll be half of 70 this week. Can I can I make a wish and blow it no, out? No, look at my face. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Dude, this how is did really you even, funny. How did you even do that? I just like kept it going. You just, you've been keeping it going for so long. Yeah, I was thinking like, should I stop? And I was like, nah, no, bro. I'm going to keep going. I cannot believe you're still alive. I mean, it's... You know what? I, you know what? I can't either. Blow the candle out. And then you have to eat the brownie. It's been in your pocket. It's warm. If you don't eat it, I'm going to eat it. <laughs> okay. Make a wish. Pray for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a wish about Jim. Pray for you. And then, like, tell Juan he's just missing out. Yeah. He's totally missing out. He would hate this, too, because like, this is Juan's thing. Oh, he would be all about this brownie right now. Okay. You did it. I did it. With my old man lungs and everything. <laughs> that was your whole breath. Dude. <sighs> yeah. Dude, I can't believe you've been doing that. You've been holding that for that long. And you like came prepared with the candle, with the lighter. All of it. You were like ready. Take the br- This is your brownie. <laughs> Take the brownie. Bir- <laughs> this is your birthday brownie. <laughs> <laughs> this is going on the podcast. No one's going to care. Oh. Uh. If, if you were your kids, you would be pulling that candle out and licking the candle. That's what kids are all about. I know they it are. It came out totally clean. I'm going to take it home. Use it again. I didn't ask Pamela if I could take if, if I could take the candle. I'd better take it home. <laughs> here you go. I think it's fairly good brownie, actually. It actually, here you go, Jim. Dip it in the scotch. <laughs> Happy birthday. Happy birthday, you old man. Mm. That is good. I'm so glad you were like, this brownie, it's a week old. <laughs> <laughs> it's still really good. It's still really good. I'm so glad you're older than me. It's ridiculous. Three months. It's... 
June, July, October, November. No, wait, wait. hold on. <laughs> Did I skip that? Yeah. You skipped June, your own month. July, October. No. Se no, June, July, August, September. Four months. Less than four months. By one day. Less than, no one's counting. Yours is June 2nd, mine's September 1st. <laughs> it's four months. You're over here saying it's three months. You're over here forgetting months, so. That was bad. Yeah. That was bad.